Hey you guys, this is the Coupling Spire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire related. I don't claim to be an expert, I just love to talk fire and I'm not afraid to get into real and deep discussions. Everything I say is my own opinion and does not reflect the opinions of any agency or organization I am associated with. Let's get on with the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. I am so happy to have you guys here listening today. This was this is going to be a really, really cool one today. This is actually the first follow-up interview I'm having with anybody from Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the Lake that I met and talked to. And I am very excited. The first one I'm doing is with Adam Haywood from Independent Fire Training. Hi. Uh, wow. This is going to be really bad tonight. This is going to be the way the whole one's going to go. All Just right. Tongue tied. <laughs> hey, Adam, how's it going? Hi, Taylor. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I hope you can like forgive like my tongue twisters and stuff. And you know what? That might happen the whole time, but it, we live with it. We roll with it, right? And we're living in, you know, the world of Zoom meetings, so. I know, right? It, this yeah. is crazy. You're sitting in Colorado, and I can talk to you from Nebraska. That's right. Even though technically we're two adjacent states. I know. Well, okay, but, uh, yeah. But, like, I'm I'm very much on the eastern side of the state, so, you know, pretty far away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to do this. Thank you for <laughs> awesome. having me. Awesome. Awesome. So, Adam, for those who have not heard of you, don't know anything about you, anything, can you just go ahead and say a little bit about yourself? So, uh, yeah, my name's Adam Haywood. Uh, I work as a backseat firefighter for a semi-small department in the Denver metro area, uh, full-time firefighter there. Uh, I've been in the fire service for 12 years now. Um, last year, I incorporated independent fire training, and it's just been an extension of myself and my love for the job and all things saws and forceful entry and kind of like unconventional uh, tactics and techniques that I really enjoy teaching and talking about. And I've been really blessed with the success that we've had in the last year. That's led me to teach at Revolutionary Fire Tactics and meet people like you and brothers and sisters across the country. So uh, I live in Colorado with my wife and I have a little boy who's almost three and my wife's doing three days. And another I, little boy. I cannot believe that yeah. you're doing this today when your wife is due in like three days. I know, I know you're talking yeah. to me at Tactics at the Lake. I'm like, well, what if you do if she goes into labor this early? And you're like, I have a plan. We're good. Yeah. When we were at, um, when I met you in Missouri, we had a whole backup plan. She goes into labor and um, I tried to alleviate some things tonight. Like I went and cleaned the house while she was preparing dinner. So like we kind of, you know, tag team being parents. Um, so it should be pretty easy for her to, to put down a little guy while I, I do this. And she knows the importance of this to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. but I'm just gonna say, if for some reason she goes into labor while we're doing this, I will be the happiest for you and okay. just like scream and just cheer and everything that, for it. So that would make a really cool episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's one thing. Like my husband said, like he's like Taylor, when we have a kid, like I hope I'm the one who delivers the baby. I'm just thinking, no, no, please, please, dear God, no, no. And like that's all he wants to do. Is that something you ever think about, or like just have like the want to do someday? Um, you know, I said that with our first child. And it didn't work out the way we planned with the first uh, delivery. Mm. My wife, my wife was in labor for like 38 hours oh. and had like an emergency surgery and yada yada. So my my world was up at the head with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been involved in live births in the field, and it's probably one of the most incredible experiences you can be a part of. I mean, I I still look, think about this call I ran in 2020 
like I said, I've been a fireman for 12 years. The last 10 of 10 plus, I've been a full-time career firefighter. Um, I had one of the most incredible calls of my career where we had a mother who was 25 weeks pregnant with twins give birth. 25 weeks. 25 weeks. Jeez. And yeah, so we got on scene and I was the second medic unit in. We uh, were an ALS transport fire-based, you know, department Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, I'm in second medic unit in is somebody like we open the back doors and somebody literally hands in this baby like the size of a like a football oh. right and you know like we're breathing for the baby and the baby's tiny, and she's alive and the other baby is alive and mom is alive but it's like this I'm like I remember putting the electrodes the like the leads on her chest and it was like putting the EKG leads on like a pack of playing cards oh my goodness and we're like breathing for this baby we're going to like life and science it's just such a crazy cool call I mean, it, it was cool looking back because everything worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to be part of like a part of that, even in the smallest sense, like to squeeze a little BBM, put some, like stickers on. That, that's all I did as a, <laughs> as a backseat EMT, right? Yeah. But it's just such a cool thing to be a part of. And like mom and babies ended up walking out of the hospital, like no deficit. Oh, it was man. Such a, such a cool thing to be a part of. Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of like my experience with birth, live births in the field. Um, I didn't do any catching. Uh, I was going to say, like, that's like what yeah. my husband says. He's like, it's so easy. You just put your arms out and catch. I'm like, it can't be that easy. You know, <laughs> if it's a normal, like routine pregnancy. It is. But Santa <laughs> probably gone wrong or like they ran out of gas in the way of the hospital or something. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really cool call to be a part of. Oh man. So yeah. So yeah. If she ends up going into labor or whatever congratulations to you. I kind of hope it doesn't happen, but at the same time, I kind of hope it does happen. So, you know, 50, 50 shot here, but thank you. Yeah. We're totally <laughs> ready. Everything's packed, ready to go. You know? Oh, is that fire- serious or sarcasm? No, that's, that's oh. serious. That's like true fireman, you know, preparedness, I guess. Like fantastic. We're totally ready to rock. So <laughs> if it happens, it happens, but hopefully, uh, uh, it's, it's a scheduled birth. Yeah. So we should be okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be something nice and comforting too about a scheduled birth though you know like it should be a little less hectic than the first one yeah you know yeah so, but we'll see anyway so so let's backtrack it a little bit because we're we're at today's world let's go back like what 12 years ago how did you find your way to the fire service what got you what got you wanting to do this that's a really great question um i was enrolled at the university of colorado and just kind of felt like a drift my sophomore year or so where I wasn't really happy with the direction I was going. I w- wasn't really into the classes I was taking. I was originally enrolled in the business school. It was like, I want to do like marketing or, you know, ad agencies or whatever. Maybe that's why and, we get along so well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, um, so it was just one of those nights where you're like, man, you're kind of sitting around doing a little soul searching. I'm like, man, what, like, what did I want to be when I was younger? And why did I ever give up on that? Um, you know, obviously every little boy and girl has some phase where they want to be a fireman, a doctor, whatever. And, uh, just kind of really on like a whim, I signed up for a ride along in the city of Boulder and took a ride along and was totally, you know, not prepared for what the job was or Mm -hmm. really what entailed. I thought I'd like walk on, you know, and this was in 2010 and things in Colorado were really competitive at the time. You know, you're talking thousands of applicants for a handful of jobs. Uh, so I did a ride along with them and fell in love with it. 
And then I ended up running into a guy I knew from high school who was a volunteer at a combination department where I got my start. And I went there, uh, Boulder Rural Fire. And that's a great little shop. Um, started there for two years as a volunteer and then went paid there in 2013. And uh, spent a few years there and then um, pursued another more busier spot at uh, Adams County Fire where I'm at now. So, like I said, that was a great spot to get started. Really great culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, a culture of training and like hyper aggressive. And I'm so thankful I started my career there because it's really kind of set me up for uh, the path that I'm on now. You know, whereas oh, yeah. if I had started somewhere else, I just, I'm not sure if I'd be where I'm at today. So I had a lot of great mentors there, guys I still, uh, you know, either follow online or talk to or, or what have you. So really great start, great shop like those guys a lot there well it's nice because it seems like that area was a good place it's almost like it was set up to be a stepping stone where people could come in as a volunteer they could go to part-time then they could move on Mm -hmm. to something else and i know that's something like since i'm mostly in the volunteer world you know it's it's tough because a lot of volunteer departments have that problem they have people coming and getting jobs somewhere actually full-time then leave and then you know, there's a little bit of animosity against it because you're losing somebody really good. You don't want to lose yeah. them. And you're like, what? But but if if you know that's what the path is going to be, and you can set people up for that success and you can still cheer them on through the whole process. It's not a bad system to have set up. Well, what was really cool about Boulder Row when I got there was it was already a combination department. So you had a full-time staff supplemented by volunteers who did shifts. So mm-hmm. like you'd sign up like 12-hour chunks and typically I'd do like 24, even sometimes 48 as a volunteer. Um, so it wasn't like on call. You're like part of the firehouse, but you cook in, you're so working cool. out together, which is really neat. And there was a real pride uh, during my time there being like a farm department. Mm-hmm. Where people would come in, get really good training. Like I said, the, the, the guys and gals that worked there were freaking top notch. I'd put them against, you know, any big city firefighter any, any day of the week. Um, and there was this real pride where they'd like people come in, spend two, three years, and then go to another like career department elsewhere and kind of like always carry that banner of Boulder mm-hmm. Rural with them, you know? So I'm real proud that I'm, it's, I haven't worked there for five years and I'm still talking about it. Oh yeah. You know? but yeah. So it, you, you it, really it, appreciated it. Yeah. It left a lasting impression on me. Um, and they've since, I, I think from what I know, they their volunteers have kind of petered out and they, they're all career now, mm-hmm. but, um, but their culture remains the same. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it was, it was absolutely a great place to start. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So through all this, through your firefighter career, you said what a year ago you started independent fire training. That's so right. what I want to get into, why the heck did you start it in the first place? What got your wheels turning? Okay. That's a great question. Yeah. It's almost a year to the day, actually. Really? It's, uh, yeah. It's one week from tomorrow or one week from today. Excuse me. Uh, is the day I incorporated with the state of Colorado, my, my LLC. And it's been a huge learning curve, but <laughs> um, I've always kind of been, you know, either an adjunct instructor, like the academy, whether it's the volunteer academy or the career academy, or kind of like an SME on different things in my own department and in, in leading uh, department or shift wide or even company level trainings. So I feel like I've always had a foot kind of in that training arena. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got noticed noticed, if you will, uh, somebody reached out to me from Coastal Fire Training, John Buttrick, 
uh, he saw that I was doing some through the lock stuff out in Colorado and he invited me in 2021 to come out as a cadre member for coastal fire training to revolutionary fire tactics. So that's how I got hooked up with like David Woodward and Lake area pools. Ah. And then those guys So mm-hmm. I went up there in 2021, taught with John uh, for two days. And then we drove to Jefferson city, Missouri, the capital city and taught their department, which is cool. So I <laughs> got to teach like, you know, 200 firefighters in three days uh, through the lock. And I, the whole time, like, you know, talking shop with John and Cam and the other guys from coastal Eric, um, and meeting firefighters from around the country who kind of had their own like little training thing or training groups, whatever. I thought, man, how cool would this be to make this like a side project, right? Like oh, I'm yeah. not like when I incorporated, I told my wife, like, look, we're n- I'm not doing this to get rich. We're not going to probably even make any money doing this, but we can travel around and like spread the word of training and meet you know brothers and sisters from all over the country. And that's really what motivated me to do it. It was just to just to meet people and network around. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Nobody oh, I completely like, get that. Yeah. Like, I'm going to make, you know, this my full time job and make all this money doing this. And I want to gain all these, like, you know, followers and clout. Like, I could care less about that. Right. All I mm-hmm. want to do is just travel around and teach people. And um, so when I got back, I talked about it at length with my wife and said, you know, here's my plan. And I actually drafted like a business plan and made a budget and like went to the bank and like got a loan, like bought the trailer and bought some saws and like you know, pure licensing and all this, like incorporated the state, all this back end work that you don't see, Yeah, you know? Um, <laughs> and then ever since then, it's just been this, like this freight train of uh, just people piling on and, and following us. It's been really cool. Cause I mean, I've talked to people from Canada, South America, Africa, somebody from Africa reached out to me about saws. Uh, firefighters from Europe. I haven't talked to anybody from Asia yet, but I mean, it's just Australia. Somebody reached out from Australia. It's been really cool to just put out content that I just personally like putting out. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you like it, great. If you don't, keep scrolling. Um, and people have really responded well to it. That's really kind of how IFT was um, born, if you will. So, so I want to get into. So, you said you've been instructing for a while right? Not just with independent fire training, you know, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess the question I really want to ask is when did you find that you wanted to take the leap from just being a firefighter to, to helping with instructing? Because that that is a leap that not everybody actually wants to take or feels feels the push to take. So what was what got you into that spot? That like, hey, I actually want to teach people how to do this. Um, it's really twofold for me. Excuse me. I'm just getting over like a 10 day cold. Thanks to my kids. <laughs> um, the answer to that's really two parts. One, like I said, going back to Boulder Rural, I had a guy I really looked up to there, Jake, who was an instructor at like the volunteer Academy and kind of like known throughout Boulder County. And I would watch him and like, this guy's got his, you know, his shit wired tight. He's a great fireman. Like I, you know, I, I, I gravitated towards that. Mm-hmm. So naturally I'm like, once I got the, like two years as a volunteer, right? Like 2012. <laughs> Once I got some, like a couple years under my belt and I had thrown, you know, a few more ladders than the next guy, I started kind of helping out at the volunteer academy, which was an unpaid thing. And then the instructors at the volunteer academy were paid, which I eventually that rolled into being a paid instructor there. Um, like I said, not for the money. I could, you know, care less about that. But um, he was a big influence on kind of like my 
becoming an instructor in the fire service. And then that snowballed. I helped out with several academies. Um, I came in to my current job at Adams County Fire, which, like I said, we're, we're small, but we're super busy department. Um, got through my probe year, real tough, you know, normal probe year. And then once I came off probation, I had a little more like flexibility. I started reaching out and doing some internal trainings there. And it's just, it's so cool um, to put a class together and then run into like the company, you know, you know, two weeks ago, like, hey man, like we, we went through the lock at this hotel, and was, you know, it worked so great. And like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I'm like, that's so rewarding to me. Um, that's one of the reasons, that's why I really like doing it. And then the other part is I went to, 2012 was a pretty formative year for me. I went to FDIC in 2012, um, too, which is cool. Um, <laughs> and I remember, like, there are these moments in your fire service career where you just, like, remember them. And I'm sitting on the tower, the, the rooftop of the training tower. I think we we're in Indy or, like, some neighboring department. I couldn't tell you where. For a hot class. And there was a, I think he's a lieutenant now. Or he could be even a captain. I don't know. Uh, at the time, Jason Bresler with the FDNY. Like, all right, boys, take a knee, you know, like the sun was setting, like I, I just had like eight hour day busting my ass, you know, and, um, you know, gave like a really inspirational, motivational kind of like speech at the end of the day about what it means to be a fireman and like why, why you're out at FDIC, like learning and how to take it back to your department and be, you know, a good instructor like that just, I mean, we're that, Taylor, that was 10 years ago. I'm still talking about that moment. What a formative moment that was from, I, I want to say his lieutenant. Uh, Jason Bresler from the FDNY. I mean, moments like that, just they hit different, they hit deep and they make firefighters what we are. They turn us into, especially the ones of us who are, who are very much into this. They push us so much harder into it and they just give us that driving force behind it. Yeah. It was such a powerful message to be, to make an impact on the fire service around me, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, give back to you know the fire service as a whole and leave it better than you found and all that other uh jazz but that's really kind of like the genesis of <laughs> where i've wanted to be an instructor and i i mean i'll, I'll tell you right now i talked to my wife today we're sitting drinking coffee in the morning while our kid was terrorizing the house and we're talking about kind of like our you know 2023 plans because i'm going to be tested for lieutenant here and some other stuff and that's just i mean being an instructor and having like a hand in the training game always going to be a priority to me mm-hmm. you because know, i think that makes you a better fireman firefighter too in the long well, it run. does and then yeah. like you're saying it the chance to show others what they can do and to help them and to get them through a lot better or to you know just have them use whatever tool it is better to have them think of things differently knowing that you're helping even just one person is worth it and that yeah. is that it's that feeling it's that I don't even know what to call it. It's like a warm, fuzzy, giddy, excited. Like, I don't know if you're the person to like dance or whatever. I totally do. Anytime I hear something like that, but like, mm-hmm. you might just do like an internal little dance or whatever. It's like, just, it's just so awesome. And I don't know if people understand like how much, I, you know, like I love getting messages about podcasts. You love getting messages or phone calls about something that somebody learned. Like it, that is, and I shouldn't say it like, we don't need the recognition for it. But that is the only payment that we want. We just want to know that we helped out somebody. Dude, totally, right? Like like I said, we're not here to get rich doing this. 
what mm-hmm. you and I, you and I are spending two hours of our night tonight talking here for free because yeah. we love it, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're students of the craft. We love the job. And I love and, meeting new people. I love talking with new people and making friends. It's, this is amazing. Totally. I love the fire service. Absolutely. <laughs> and to circle back to like the instructing thing, it's just so neat to have an impact on like firefighters that are just coming into the fire service, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of setting them on the right track and setting them up for success, right? So they can have a long, healthy career, you know, rather than if they had some slug at the academy or whatever and you know who just kind of was there to be there because they got told to be there it just doesn't inspire you to be the best you can be so being an instructor like in a teacher what whether you're teaching math to children or you know force some doors or whatever it's just such a rewarding special um privilege to have mm-hmm I was going to say, just look at the, look at the difference between imagine a firefighter who goes in there with, you know, maybe a a captain or something, or just an instructor, let's just say an instructor at an academy who, you know, they were fine. They were doing their job. They were getting things done. They were learning. And then you have another student who was in there with an instructor who was so fired up about things and, and always learning something new and always bringing stuff to the group that wasn't technically always in the in the syllabus to learn or whatever, but like giving them more information, more things and showing his passion for it. The difference in those recruits five years down the road will probably be very different from each other. They're both, they're both going to be good firefighters in general, but one is going to go above and beyond. Absolutely. And to piggyback on that, like when I got hired at Adams County, like I said, I had a couple years paid, you know, a little bit, like I knew what I was doing. You know, I, I knew what a halogen was. I knew how to put a ladder into the building, whatever. But my good friend, Mark, um, who worked at Boulder World too, and has since moved on, um, he's like, you know, when you go to academy, just take 16 weeks and just be a student, right? Mm-hmm. And just sit back and listen to the instructors. And I did that. And it was so apparent. There are a couple of instructors when I went through my career academy, you know, this a tough academy, a 16-week career academy, where you would just be like enamored with what they're saying like you'd be sitting there talking about you know uh how to get on and off a lap like an aerial ladder or how to you know do this and i'm like man i never heard this before and <laughs> just to sit like to go into the academy with that mindset of like just being a student for 16 mm-hmm. weeks and getting thousands of reps um and having you know good quality instructors who wanted to be there yeah. made that academy uh palatable because it was a huge kick in the teeth right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I, I, honestly I, overall a good experience like there was days you'd come home and lay on the tile floor because it felt so good compared to the concrete you've been crawling around on for eight hours yeah <laughs> but, uh, but um yeah those instructors man i still remember moments from that academy like this guy he has my 100 att- like full attention so it's, and it's, it's really crazy cool that we have that it's, it's funny because I wonder if some of those instructors know the impact that they have, know the moments that they are creating for people that are going to stick in their minds forever. Uh, I'd like to think so. I definitely reached out to the instructor that I'm thinking of at the North Area Academy and let, been back to that academy as an SME and like an adjunct instructor now and worked with him, which mm-hmm. has been super cool. So That is so awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So... Let's let's get in a little bit deeper into independent fire training. So I'm going to okay. start out with a very extremely general question. 
why did you pick rotary saws? Like, I, I mean, honestly, out of all the things you could pick, that's extremely specific. <laughs> so what, what got you on that train of thought thinking, okay, this, this is what we're going to focus on. So that was the birth of IFT with rotary saws. And that'll always be the flagship to IFT is rotary mm-hmm. saws, but we've really kind of branched out to a lot of different things. Like I've talked about water cans and like I said, through the lock and tool maintenance and all, all that other jazz. I don't mean to what, completely interrupt you, but you know how many times I've never heard that somebody really teaches water cans. So just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very yeah. curious about that too. So anyways, go on. <laughs> so um, I've always really gravitated towards like truck company functions. Again, probably because of the gentleman that I worked with back at Boulder World, Jake, he had a real passion for it. So, you know, by working with him, I became passionate about it, forceful entry and ladders and things like that. And um, there's, God, how do I say this? I felt like I, I gravitated more towards like the unorthodox, unconventional forceful techniques, like forcing doors, you know, two man, one man, mm-hmm. Halligan, flathead, like that's awesome. Please, please don't get that misconstrued that I'm discounting that in any way. But I'm like, we do this every year, but there's all these other things out there, these other disciplines for forceful entry that we never talk about. At least at my, at my uh, department, like through the lock or cutting the door open or what have you. So it's, it falls under that umbrella of forceful entry, mm-hmm. but it's like, a, it's like the redheaded stepchild, right? Like nobody really <laughs> seems to talk about that. Um, you know, in your normal like fire one Academy and you'll, you know, every year you go with like your company training for the department, like, okay, force a couple doors. All right. Check that box. All right. Move on. Right. So I became kind of really curious with the unorthodox, unconventional ways to get into places. Hence the rotary saw. And then I went to FDIC in 2021. I was lucky enough to go again. And I met chief Stephen Shaw from Fort Lauderdale Mm -hmm. fire at a class. And he was a huge impact on me. He's been a, a really great mentor of mine. And he was kind of a, I don't want to say a pioneer, but he was a, absolutely an industry expert in rotary saws. And when I went out there and I met him and I took his class, I'm like, holy cow, you know, all my, all my uh, focus has been on through the lock and kind of that unconventional stuff. I didn't even think about like saws for entry. And he really <laughs> kind of sparked me for, uh, take it like picking up the torch and just running with it um so that's really kind of how we got started with the saws and saws like i said will always be the number one concern with us and there's such a black hole of knowledge too sometimes right like there's always every department has like a chainsaw guru but some guys don't share that knowledge right Mm -hmm. like that hey if you run the rotary saw in a zero degree or 90 degree orientation it's the most gyroscopically stable well nobody ever told me that right so I don't no, want to I... keep that. Knowledge. <laughs> I don't want to keep that knowledge to myself. I want to like get that out there because a lot of people are so intimidated by that saw. Like once oh, yeah. you pick it up and you spin it up and it starts spinning in your hand and it's loud and throwing sparks, it scares people. I'm, I mean, honestly, yeah. it's not my favorite thing to use. Sure. <laughs> and there's there's times on scenes um, where people will pick it up and they're like, it's dangerous, you know, like it's chattering around. Like I don't want to. I want to eliminate that fear of that tool mm-hmm. and make people a little more comfortable with it and it's been a really fun uh we've like i said we've had a really great response to that niche the very <laughs> niche market 
Um, but we had a really great response because a lot of people think that saw it's the master key. It's a super cool tool, but <laughs> not a lot of people know the ins and outs of the saw. Okay. So that's my very long answer to get back to your that's, question. That's fine. That's fine. So, so you're talking about a little bit with the ins and outs of the saw. So is there some basic stuff you can tell me? Cause okay. Think of me. Okay. Explain stuff to me. Like I am a fifth grader, maybe not a fifth grader, maybe like a fourth grader. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay but but just for anyone listening in case they really don't know a lot or if they're newer into the fire service or whatever this is but what are some things that like what do people not know or what are some things that you really should know basics about the rotary saws uh the number one thing with the rotary saw the number one cause of injury with rotary saws is accidental contact with the spinning blade okay so that the, makes sense <laughs> yeah and nobody wants to get you know uh, a spinning blade to their femur right mm -hmm. so then like one of the first things i teach people is like when you're making the cut right as you come out of the cut before you reposition to turn the saw or whatever because remember saws don't turn they're not jigsaws yeah you're not making circular cuts and when you leave the cut with the saw as you come out bury the saw back into the material that you're cutting to stop the blade so when oh, you turn the okay. saw not only is the blade not spinning that can hit you it makes the saw so much easier to turn blade's not spinning and creating that gyroscopic effect okay so that's a lot of people get like i said kind of intimidated by the saw because they'll come out of the cut with the saw still running full throttle and they'll try to you know rotate it from 90 to like zero or 45 mm -hmm. and they're fighting that gyroscopic force but if you come out stop the blade of the material you're cutting and then re reposition the saw it's safer and easier to maneuver the saw that's probably one of the first things we talk about in class okay you got another one for me? <laughs> yeah. What else do you want to know? I don't know. So, okay. Okay. This, this, you know what? Let's, let's pause on this for a second. That takes me into another question that I, I really want to ask you anyways, but with something so niche as this, I don't know what questions I need to be asking. So how the heck did you figure out what questions you needed to ask or you needed to figure out, or you needed to teach? <laughs> well, um, for me, because I like to be a student of my, of the craft, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know everything I can. I just started trying to fill in the holes of my knowledge, right? So like I knew how to start the saw. I knew how to, uh, what like cut sequence you do on an overhead door, but I'm also like, how do you maintain the saw? Right? Yeah. Why is it bad when you start the saw to pin the throttle right away? So, and I'll tell you here in a minute. Um, <laughs> I started kind of filling in those holes. And like I said, it's the phone. We, we, we spoke on the phone several times, um, you know, seeking out other saw industry experts, if you will, taking related classes. One of the best classes I ever took isn't even structural fire related. It's wildland related. So S212, which is introduction of chainsaws and like cutting down trees. Okay. Um, the very first day of that class, they, you tear down the saw, they teach you how the saw works, like how to take care of the saw. And I'm like, holy hell, there's this whole level of like ownership to the saw, like treating the saw well and like keeping it operational ready that I had no idea about. So that kind of filled in that crack. And then, um, yeah, so I'm like, you, you hear these things like, well, you should, you know, never pin the throttle when you start the saw. Okay, well, why? So I went and I registered as a technician with steel and started taking like technician classes and the whole reason they tell you that, like when you start the saw to not pin it right away, is that the cylinder doesn't heat up as fast as the piston. Okay. So 
when you start the saw, right, the engine starts to get warm. Mm-hmm. The piston gets warmer than the cylinder head. So it expands in the cylinder head and prematurely wears the cylinder head. So if you give it 30 to 45 seconds just to warm up, that cylinder head can come up to temperature and the two parts can work in concert. Whereas if you pin it right away, that piston gets so hot so fast, it prematurely wears the piston, the cylinder and can cause like a cold seizure. So what's cool about that, like going that deep and figuring out why the why behind these things has just been uh, really fun to like go out and explain to people, you know, but like the why behind things you may have heard in passing at a training or, or whatever. Um, trying to think what else we can talk about, about, about the saw. Well, the, the more you learn about the inner workings of anything, the more you learn how something works or why you do a certain something, you're able to manipulate it more and manipulate it better. And you're able to figure out, okay, what's happening? Well, I know how it works and I know how to break it all down. So the problem has to be either here or here. You know, you, you legitimately, like you said, oh, basically you're com- becoming your own mechanic for it, being able right. to diagnose it on the spot and figure it out and come up with a workaround or something. Um, but that, that is really, really cool. Like I didn't, yeah. so you could just, you can just become, or at least you did on uh, a uh, tech for steel stuff. Just. So I signed up for what's called like the vocational uh, technician program. Okay. Because I wanted to, this is probably like six months in the IFT being incorporated. I'm like, man, I really got to know more about like the inner workings of the saw. Cause I, I, I taught one class thus far and I'd gotten a couple of good questions about like the inner workings of the saw and kind of like, you know, how does this, you know, how, how do certain things work? I'm like, man, if I could go and like become like a small engine repair tech or something like that, I'd be mm-hmm. better suited as an instructor. Um, so I, I sign up through them. If you are part of a fire department, I'd like prove my membership as a, as a fireman somewhere. You can sign up for this online academy they have. And there's like hundreds and hundreds of classes you can take online for free. Could you imagine if one person from every fire department did that? Yeah. Oh man. It's been really cool. So I want to give a shout out to John Buttrick from coastal. When I went and met with him and we were just learning and about through the lock and, you know, being the best, uh, like soft entry, pat respectful entry, whatever you want to call it, like through the lock entry we can be like, yeah, I went and I took a locksmith class, but man, that makes so much sense. It does, but no one ever thinks about it. You never think it's it's not connected to the fire service directly. And, and that's why guys and girls that come from like trades, like electricians or welders or whatever, or auto mechanics do so well in the fire service sometimes. Mm-hmm. So they have that like background knowledge running in the background of how to diagnose certain things like, hey, you know, this, um, like when you're overhauling, you know, there's probably pipe and conduit behind this wall or, or, or what, what happened. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So it translates so well. So when he told me that, that resonated with me and stuck with me for months. Like man, I gotta find something like that for saws, hence small engine tech, which is what mm-hmm. I went and got signed up for. Dude, that's so, so cool. <laughs> dude, the the curriculums are out there. You just gotta find them. Yeah, open your eyes to outside the fire service. There's tons out there. Yeah, and I mean, what better way to learn about something than going to the source steel, yeah. like the number one manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm. So, been pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm always bugging our like steel tech when I go and like get my saw service like hey tell me about this or tell me about that or what do you think about this so <laughs> or what's what's new what's coming out what's all this yeah stuff, you know <laughs> I'm never I'm never shy like if somebody gives me their phone number at the end of a training I almost always write it down and call them at some point with some question 
I have in the future about it. So I'm, I'm never shy. And no, nobody should be at whatever stage of the career, be shy about asking questions on how or why things work. And honestly, I have been that person a lot. Like there have been questions I have and like, yeah, all the instructors always give them out. And I always either take a picture or write it down somewhere. And I'm always just like, no, they don't want to hear from me, but I know they don't mind. They wouldn't give out their personal phone numbers or their emails or anything. If they cared, if, if they were going to reject your calls or reject your questions, they're right. just like you and me, they want to help. Well, and the Honestly, they're just big nerds. Like, oh, yeah. like I, I, I own that. Everybody, you know, calls me a fire nerd at, at work, and I totally own that title. Yeah, I am. I yes, love this please. job. <laughs> I'll tell you everything you want to know about the K nine seventy or the MS four sixty or whatever. Like, yeah, sure, sign me up. I'm a, I'm a nerd, you know, and I, I wear that badge with honor. And when I meet fellow nerds who put their phone numbers out at the end of the class, like, I'm calling you. <laughs> and, I, and I've, I've done that many times, and I've actually because of phone calls I've made to instructors after classes, I've brought back things to my department. And now we've literally changed operationally why we're doing some things. Um, for example, our high-rise pack is changing because I reached out to an instructor at the end. So I mm -hmm. mean, they're putting it out there. Call them. Yeah. You know, call them. Or message them on Instagram or Facebook, yeah. or whatever. You know, I try to answer everybody. Somebody just texted me tonight about, uh, I saw a question and I sit down and you know, think about it really, yeah really a really detailed response and um hopefully they take that back and you know learn from it so here's here's another question for you on the rotary saw stuff so are I'm, how do i best put this question um okay so i'm going to start out my previous department had one rotary saw be all and all that's it is there if you had to pick one thing for a department to have, let's say for a small volunteer department or something like that. First of all, kind of what would it be? Second, what? So two-parter here. Okay. Second, um, what are some of the major differences between the different saws? Okay. So really there's like two, two main uses of saws. Okay. So you need to ask yourself, what is the primary use of my saw? Is it going to be cutting doors and vehicles and drop our bolts and things like that, like making entry into buildings, mm -hmm. like opening up an overhead door for horizontal ventilation or, you know, fire attack or whatever, or am I going to use the rotary saw for vertical ventilation, whether it's commercial or even residential, because a lot of departments down like the Southeast of the United States, that's their primary go-to, believe it or not, is rotary saws with vent blades on a residential roof. So and honestly, I would have said, I would have thought those would all be the same thing. So I'm happy I'm, I'm doing this so with these. So I'm glad you asked that. They're, there's subtle differences. Okay. So first answer, you got to answer that question. Like, what are we going to use this for? And I would say 90% yeah. of departments will probably say forceful entry operations. Right? Mm -hmm. So in that vein, if you're going to use your saw for entry, um, typically you'll see a saw with like a diamond blade. Sometimes you see like an abrasive blade um, and they have their pros and cons, but you'll see a diamond blade typically on like an outboard mounted cutting arm. So that's from the factory. You can mount you can change the uh, mounting position of the cutting arm. Okay. Um, are you familiar with that at all? A little bit. I think I know what it looks like. <laughs> and so on an outboard saw, the blade is moved to the outside of the cutting arm, which gives you like a flusher cut. Okay. Right. But because that arm is now flipped around, that gyroscopic force is multiplied. So it's a little bit more unwieldy. Oh. Um, whereas if you keep it inboard, the stock position, if you will, it's a little more gyroscopically stable, but it doesn't have the same like angle of attack that an outboard would have so 
Okay. Um, if you're going to set yourself a forceful entry, a great diamond blade um, and outboard mounts is probably the way to go. You do see a lot of departments, especially like larger city departments where they have the money and the uh, wherewithal to have two saws on a rig. Mm-hmm. You'll see usually one with a diamond blade outboard mounted and one with an, like a vent carbide blade inboard mounted. Okay. So I would say unless you're like, that's your primary go-to for residential ventilation, um, your best bet is to go with the diamond blade outboard mounted. If you want to do ventilation with a rotary saw, a uh, carbide roof blade on an inboard is probably your way to go. And like I said, when I was, when I was out at F, uh, excuse me, RFT, I met this dude from Jacksonville and it was funny. We were just walking in the same general direction <laughs> as to, to the bar and he had a shirt on. No, oh, no. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, he had a shirt on of a company that I recognized. I'm like, Hey man, it's you know, from like 15 to are you with whatever. And we ended up walking to the bar together. We sat down, we had a beer and he was from Jacksonville, Florida. And he was telling me how down in Florida, like all their, their primary go-to for residential roofs is rotary saws, just because it's a, it's a cultural thing. And also um, because they have such buildup of their roofs down there, they prefer, you know, a big, more aggressive blade, or like you go to like Milwaukee, they're real known for like rotary saws on roofs. So circle back, figure, <laughs> out, what, figure out what you want to use your saw for. And then from there, um, go with what's the best setup for you. That is, that is cool. I am definitely going to have to do more research after uh, I get done with this. And especially when mm-hmm. I'm listening to it back, I'm going to be taking so many notes and just going and making sure I completely hundred percent understand all this. Cause I can't guarantee that right now, but <laughs> it, and, and I, I don't want to discount that the diamond blades these days are so well-made you mm-hmm. can cut like a lot of people use the diamond blades for commercial roofs to cut through like the Q decking and you know, the metal roofs cause they, they're designed for metal. Um, so you can get away with using a diamond blade for like commercial ventilation. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a experiment recently with the diamond blade and like wood and it, it cuts, but it just doesn't cut nearly as well. So you okay. your best going with like an actual like carbide, like a really, have you ever heard like a warthog blade? No. Like a really, like a really aggressive looking like 10 or 30 tooth blade. They're, they're like wicked. Okay. Like, then maybe um, I have, have you shared it on your page at all or anything or? Uh, about the a warthog blade yeah no not okay particularly I, i'll be totally transparent with you um that isn't really in our wheelhouse where i work when okay. it comes to rotary saws on um roofs for residential ventilation mm-hmm. so like whereas like chief shaw down in uh fort lauderdale florida like that's like i said primarily what they run down there so yeah. he has way more infield experience cutting on residential roof with a rotary saw so i i try to like stay in my wheelhouse oh yeah i'm not gonna i'm just gonna make shit up and say like oh well you know x y and z when i really don't have the uh like pedigree to back it up Mm -hmm. okay so we're gonna go back to maybe a dumb question but i'm still gonna ask it anyway so why because you know especially around here in nebraska from what i have witnessed and seen and talked to people 90% of the time we're going to use just a regular chainsaw when it comes to vertical ventilation. Why would you use a rotary saw then? So the rotary saw, the motor is bigger. Mm-hmm. So it ha- has a little more like oomph behind it, if you will. Um, and they just seem to lend themselves better to like flat roof ventilation when it comes to, like walking with the saw long distances. Uh, mm 
carrying the saw, uh, like I said, typically the flat roof is, if you're venting a flat roof, it seems to be more often than not commercial. So you're going to kind of lean towards that saw anyways. Yeah. Um, out in Colorado, all the vertical ventilation residentially is almost 99% done with a chainsaw. So mm-hmm. Same thing here. So I, yeah. um, definitely have some experience with that. Um, you know, we're not as well known for it as say, you know, like Detroit or you know, FDY, <laughs> Chicago, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we see a decent amount of fire where I work, but the fire load in Colorado isn't nearly what it is in some states when yeah. it comes to uh, consistent fires. Yeah. I mean, a house burns down every day in the Denver metro area, but um, that's just a fact of life is we don't see the fire load that we did back in the 70s and 80s that, you know, guys like my captain saw. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's just, it, it still baffles me. And I understand the research and everything and everything that's going behind to, to back that all up and why it's happening. But it still baffles me that it is it is slowing down that much. But what's really crazy, like, you look at the civilian deaths and they're going up. I know. So is that, uh, is that a result of over safety rules like you know more egregious safety rules and we're you have to have two in two out you have to have x y and z in place before you can make entry. i don't know that's that's yeah. beyond my pay grade yeah but that's, i mean <laughs> the, the, the stats speak for themselves yes fires are going down but deaths are going up so what are we as fire service doing about that and there's been a great movement recently kind of realigning our priorities as a fire department to make search making search a priority and um, that's definitely and, something I'm behind and trying to champion at my own department. Mm-hmm. And it is it is spreading. I, I will take the pun. It is uh, spreading like wildfire, like just across the fire service right now. And you're not seeing it every fire department yet, but you're starting to see it with especially the people who are out of their own areas and going to these conferences and stuff like that. You're starting to see that really catch hold in people. And I think it will eventually go down, trickle down to the rest of the departments. It's just going to take time. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's, oh, yeah, hopefully not too long. Cause I'd like to save more lives sooner rather than later, but sure. And I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the older guys sometimes kind of like poo poo, um, like our generation of firemen and firefighters that use the internet to our advantage, yeah. you know, but to me, I would never have known to look at like the USFA, you know, stats if it wasn't for somebody posting it somewhere. Oh yeah. Right? So by people sharing that information, it makes you, you know, aware of these trends and makes you respond to these trends. Whereas back in the day, in like say the eighties, you'd have to pick up like a magazine or like a VHS training thing or whatever to learn that. So and hope things, that somebody actually talked about it. Yeah, and, and things are so they're just so much more readily available at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Like I could get off the phone call with you right now and look up, you know, uh, fire statistics for. San Bernardino County or whatever, like th- things are just so much more out there and available to us to, to learn from. Um, it's really kind of silly if you kind of poo-poo like the internet as a firefighting training tool. Now, granted, yeah. there's a lot of bad <laughs> information or maybe just like misguided information. So you got to be a critical thinker and know who's telling you the message, right? And like mm-hmm. kind, of vet, kind of vet them. But um, we're living in, like I said, when we first met, we're living in the golden age of information sharing. So yeah. why not take it and use it to our advantage? 
Yeah. And like you were saying, like just the vetting process, it's not there like it used to be with. Well, and it still is when it comes to like the magazines and stuff like that or, you know, some of the websites that you can read on. But when it comes to especially social media or let's okay, I'm going to throw myself under the bus having this podcast. I have no good reason to start this podcast and start spewing information and no one's officially vetted me on it. And Mm -hmm. it's not great to admit, but like, you know, that hasn't happened. But at the same time it's going to help somebody out there somewhere, but yeah, you really have to like, just be your own opinionator there. Opinionator. Is that a word? I don't even know, but (laughs) just go through and start vetting and like, really take everything you hear with a grain of salt until you can confirm it, you know, and do your own research on it. That's like the most important thing is doing your own research to back it up too. Well, in a lot of, I feel like instructors kind of overstep their bounds on their expertise. You know, like just because you tied a few knots in a bay doesn't make you, you know, Ricky rescue who's done it. 50 times in real world. Yeah. So I really try to stay in my lane when it comes to IFT on things that I've done in the real world or like, you know, done ad nauseum that I have background on. That's why you don't see a lot, like I said, of like residential ventilation with rotary saws because we just don't do it where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm not going to talk about it, but there are plenty of people out there that think they're experts that'll tell you everything you want to know about it. And sometimes they're just regurgitating information, but yeah, it's all about vetting who you're, you know, seeking out the information from. Yeah. So let's say, should we have we gone off the reservation yet? Maybe a little bit. Uh- <laughs> we're doing pretty good. We're do- actually we're doing pretty good with this. I'm kind of surprised. Um, so let's see. Okay, so I got to ask you this question, just because I have to, and maybe you're just gonna. I don't know what reaction we're gonna get to this, but I got to ask. Okay. Gas or battery powered? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, if, see, that's the reaction I was expecting. So, <laughs> so again, you need to ask yourself, what are you using the software, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you right now, batteries are the future. Whether you mm-hmm. like it or not, we're going to see more battery-powered cars. You're going to see more battery-powered scooters right around your neighborhoods. You're going to see batteries way more prolific in your everyday life. Now, battery-powered saws are readily available and on the market currently. Um, they seem to really kind of only be um, relegated to like the nine inch saw category, which is kind okay. of a new player in the game. Um, they're like 15 pounds. They're really, they're handheld. They're super easy to use. They're great for like locks, gates, you know, cars, doors, things like that. But they absolutely are not uh, in a place right now to take the spot of gas power when it comes to like cutting a roof or something that you're going to, you need like, like there's no just, there's no replacement for displacement, right? <laughs> yeah. The gas-powered saw currently is just more powerful. Battery-powered saw. There is a 14-inch competitor from Milwaukee that is a battery-powered saw. It's heavy. Um, it's a little unwieldy. It's you know takes takes batteries, so <laughs> it doesn't have the runtime. <laughs> um, so they're out there. You're going to mm-hmm. see more and more of them, and more and more manufacturers start making 14-inch saws to compete with the steels and the Husqvarna's, but Currently, if you want to like do actual like hard work, the gas powered where it's at. Yeah. Now, if, if I can keep talking about the batteries, the batteries yeah. have their own. The batteries have their own, um, you know, pros and cons too, right? So one, battery powered saws can be run indoors. Think mm-hmm. about that for like implications of tech rescue. Um, battery powered saws were deployed with great success at like Surfside, that collapse they oh, had in Florida. Yeah. They use battery power saws extensively there. 
Um, battery powered saws are quieter, right? Um, the, the little nine inch ones, they're lighter. They can do, you can whip it out and cut like a little lock real quick. You never flood a battery powered saw. You can Th keep a battery powered saw. That would save a lot saw. of time. <laughs> I know a lot of people, senior firefighters and engineers that flood saws constantly. Yeah. Um, they never flood. I mean, you can keep the saw inside like the chief bug, you know, whereas like mm -hmm. a gas powered saw, you're not going to do that. It tips over and spills gas or whatever. Yeah. So they have their place. They absolutely do have their place. Um, I was lucky enough to write an article for fire engineering that came out in the May issue all about battery powered saws. And I've noticed a trend in publications like Firehouse had a recent article on battery powered saws. Fire engineering had another article on battery powered saws. They're becoming more and more prolific and uh, cheap and available and people are, you know, getting turned on to them. It's funny because when I taught my class at RFT, you know, when you're done with the lecture, like, okay, any questions or whatever, 90% of the questions I fielded were about battery powered saws. Everybody <laughs> came up and wanted to touch the saw and get my experience on it and yada, yada, yada. So people are really excited about them. Mm -hmm. um, but you're probably not going to take one to the roof of, you know, your grocery store that's on fire to, to bed the commercial room. Maybe not in yet. five years. I mean, because that Maybe. stuff's going to be moving quick. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Batteries are, like I said, are here to sit. Well, there's battery-powered fire trucks. Yeah. You know, so. And I know people people love and hate on them, you know, but there's a lot of hate on stuff. But, okay, oh, imagine yeah. when cell phones were, were booming, you know, when we first started getting the new iPhones and stuff coming, you know we didn't have any of that stuff before, you know, you're moving from cassette tapes to CDs to iPods and things, you know, it's just, you computers are so readily available now to anybody who wants one. Batteries aren't new. They're just newer to the fire service now when it comes right. to a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, battery powered cars have been around for like a hundred plus years. Yeah. You know, battery, steam power, gasoline all came out around the same time. Just gasoline kind of took over. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be pushback from any new technology coming out. Um, and it takes a few years for it to kind of get a foothold. But now, I mean, look at the Now, I remember when iPads first came out over the MDTs and trucks, and like people like, oh, this thing's a piece of crap. It never connects and yada, yada. But I mean, now, on the way to a call, like let's say I'm, if I'm the acting officer, I can like zoom in on the complex. I can see the aerial map really quickly. I can load up like, where's the Knox box? Where's the FTC? Where's the hydrant? You know, rather. It's so uh, convenient. Like I, I know, and I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> like I'm an old timer, but I'm really not. But like when I started, it was all paper map books, mm -hmm. you know, and then like an, an MDT, like a laptop that just didn't have the um, computing power uh, iPads do now. So. It'll, it'll take time to get a following, but like I said, battery powered definitely here to stay. Yeah. So get on the train now or <laughs> get on the train later. Well, I know like there's, there's a lot of like smaller um, volunteer departments that I've been lucky to, to go and see around and talk to and whatnot. And a lot of them are switching to those and they're just a lot easier for some of their members to use. And we're thinking specifically like car wrecks, they're not bad and they, they come in handy. And especially I, you might have to correct me on this, but I don't know if every manufacturer does it, but there's at least one or two out there that have the same battery for every single thing. So yeah. you can just bring a bunch of batteries with you all charged up, yeah. ready to go. So if one dies, you just switch it out. Totally. So that's one thing I talk about when people like want to put a saw in service, I'm like, well, what are you already running? Yeah. Right. Like at Adams County, we, 
we run all DeWalt. So like our drills, our circ saws, like everybody's got like a little homeowner complement of tools. Mm-hmm. Why would you go and reinvent the wheel and buy a Milwaukee saw when you already have the DeWalt chargers and batteries on your truck anyway, right? Yeah. So just buy, buy whatever matches it. Um, and to your point about being easier to use, one thing that I, I learned from Chief Shaw is down in Florida, they have a lot of those like hurricane windows okay. or it's like VES, like a, a second floor window, that window's laminated. You, you know, you're not going to break it out with hand tools. Okay. So they've, they've literally moved to their rotary saws as being an option for sec- like second, third floor VES to go up, cut the window with the saw because it's so much more maneuverable off a ground ladder compared to a gas powered saw. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I cool- never thought about that. Like I, I understood what, you know, hurricane, you know, windows and stuff were, but like never thought about how hard it'd be to actually get through that stuff. Yeah. I, I don't it- fight fires in that area. <laughs> I know. And that's the, again, that's the beauty of like going out to conferences, talking to people across the internet and like knowing just because you don't do it where you're at, doesn't mean somebody's doing it differently somewhere else because it works for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So Agreed. really kind of cool. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're neat little tools. Okay. So before we get on to the last subject of the show, is there any other topics you want to bring up for anything? It can be rotary saws. It can be infinite fire training. It can be something completely different, whatever you feel like doing. Um, no, I mean, we, we've, like I said, we've had a really good, we've had a really good response so far with our social media presence. And a lot of people have asked for webinars. And I remember oh, cool. uh, yeah. when I was at RFP, I spoke with Bobby Eckert, uh, kind of like a fire service, you know, I don't want to say mentor because I don't know him that well, but like somebody I look up to in the fire service. Mm-hmm. And I remember like back, like pandemic, like days, March, 2020, there was no training going on. So people started putting on these virtual trainings. I like love them. To- me too. Totally. I, I ate them up. I recorded all on my computer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've referenced them before and I'm thinking to myself, what a great way, what an avenue that we need to explore for IFP um, to get out and start making these webinars available um, and, you know, hosting, whether it's just a virtual class, um, some sort of webinar to, you know, make people better saw operators. So hopefully that's coming in 2023. Um, in addition to our normal class load that we are anticipating and doing in next year. That's awesome. Well, uh, you talked about Bobby Eckert and I, I don't actually know when this episode's coming out, but I've actually signed up for one of his webinars coming up uh, towards the end of August again, that he, he's, he's still putting them on every once in a while. And I'm so happy he is because here in the, here in Nebraska, I don't always get a chance to go see everything. And I don't always have a chance to go see him teach because I, it's hard to fly out to, you know, the East coast to, to totally. go see that and stuff, you know, and just the fact to like, okay, I can take a couple hours out of my night spend, I think, I think it was like 30 or $35 or I can't remember exactly how much it was, whatever it was, it was worth it. You know, yeah. I've, I've taken Rob Backer's art of reading smoke class twice before mm-hmm. paid the money for it each time. Super worth it. I still went and did it in person and it was still different and better than just doing it online. But like, the online format for the classes, it, it doesn't work for everything, but a lot of things it's, it does. And it's good to have something there because otherwise a lot of these people won't have anything else. Well, totally. And you speak about like smaller volunteer departments that may not have the training budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I taught out a class. We did our beta class at a small volunteer department in Boulder County, who I know the chief 
and uh, I, I put it on for free, but like, I remember asking like, what's your training budget? He's like, oh, it's like a thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, for like, the year. Our, our, yeah. For the year, <laughs> like our training budget, like that is like 200,000, you know, and, that, and we're a small department. Um, so if you can offer those classes to those people, a $35 Zoom ticket, a lot cheaper than $800 plane ride in a hotel and a car to go to a conference, right? Yeah. Plus it's recorded so they can reference it later, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that's uh, that's in our, our future. That that would be exciting. And I'm yeah. definitely going to be keeping a lookout because I'm going to sure. be taking those classes. So Yeah. Um, I may be, you know, 34-year-old millennial, but I suck with technology. So <laughs> if anybody listening to this knows how to host a webinar, please reach out to me. I've looked at YouTube and a couple other things, but I'm not there yet. So well, uh, the very first one we do will be a free webinar. It'll be the beta test. So I'm sure there'll be hiccups along the way, as I said. <laughs> but um, I am hoping that we can build uh, a virtual class to roll out you know, nationwide or even, you know what, internationally. Oh, yeah. So who's, who's to say somebody from uh, England? Logs yeah, in, logs exactly. In, right? You might finally get someone from Asia coming and then they'll talk to you and then you have someone from there. I know. You too. <laughs> I know. All, all I need is Asia to reach out to me and- <laughs> I don't think I'll get Antarctica, but uh, I might. Well, no, the guy I know from Antarctica, he's back. And I don't know if he knows anyone there right now to, at this time. But so, yeah, I did, so I did a, a podcast with a friend and he's actually from Nebraska, too. But he was he did firefighting in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And it was, I had no idea it was a thing and it completely blew my mind and ridiculous. But maybe maybe there's a firefighter down there who really wants to know about this stuff. That's something uh, I looked at when I was younger, like mm-hmm. when I was like 25, but I didn't have the credentials for it at the time. Like you needed like driver operator aerial and like some other advanced things I didn't have at the time. Mm. I mean, I could do it. I could do it now, but I'm not going to go to Antarctica for six months, leave my wife with two kids. So I don't think that, your wife would appreciate that very <laughs> that, much. That, that ship might've sailed. <laughs> I can't try to, um, you know, interact with somebody from that continent at some point. <laughs> Well, the one thing I can tell you for advice for the webinar is make sure you have at least one, if not a couple of moderators. So like in the chat, yeah, in the chat or just fielding you questions or stuff like that. So that way you can, you can focus on like teaching and then like they can field you questions and stuff from it or whatever, or like if there's some craziness going on in the chat, they can handle it and you don't have to worry about it. Okay. So that's pretty much the only advice I have. Otherwise I know nothing. Really sound (laughs) advice. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm sure there'll be a lot of stumbling blocks along oh, yeah. the way getting, getting that up and running. That'd be so cool, though. It'd be so awesome to, to see your your company just just grow in that way. Could you could it's you really imagine cool. like when you started this that you were going to be talking about doing webinars someday? <laughs> I mean, like I said, when I started this, it was just uh, because I love saws and I love love this. I'm like, I'm just going to start putting it out there. If people like it, great. And if people don't, great. You know, I'm just going to keep doing it. And we've just exploded with uh on you know with social media like my goal i sat down at the beginning of this year 2022 and wrote down like five personal goals and five business goals and one of them was like by the end of 2020 i wanted to have like 2500 followers on our page and we just broke 25,000 oh, like two, two days ago so the response has been really cool it's been uh, we're so blessed to have um the following that we do, I think we've really struck a nerve with a lot of people with the rotary saw because it's just, it's just not talked about a lot. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, like I said, like a black box, Pandora's box for people just get their hands on it once or twice in Academy and 
they don't see it again until they have to pull it out on a call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're ready to move on to the last section of the show. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So we are moving into the family firefighter survival section of the show. It is one of my favorite sections. Well, pretty much is the only official section I have of anything, but I, it's, it has a, bleh, it has a special place in my heart. This is where we get the chance to just dig deep into our family and personal lives. And I get a chance to, to, to learn so much from each person's experience. Um, not that anyone is ever an expert in family matters, but we all have done things right. We all have done things wrong. And there's all things that we can pass on to like the fire service, make everything better. So this did come out of a selfish area where I really wanted to get advice on running, running a family. That sounds terrible on (laughs) 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 on making things work with family and fire. And it has just stuck. And I love that it's here. So we're going to start out very, very basic, very easy. Adam, what does your family look like? Um, Well, I have a wife. (laughs) um, a beautiful woman. I love her a lot. She's been super supportive. Uh, she met me when I was just a volunteer, but I went paid like shortly after that. So she knew I was going to be a fireman the entire time Mm -hmm. we met. So she kind of knew like the schedule and the life and the thing. So she's been in my corner the entire time. And then I have two little, well, I'm going to have two little boys. I have a, like I said, a a two and a half year old son. I'll have a son in three days. That's what my family, yeah, <laughs> crazy, right? That's what my family looks like. Um, not quite sure what, how else you want me to answer that question. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I was just, that's what I like having a baseline just in case people, other people didn't catch it while we've been talking, even though we've mentioned your family a lot so far, uh, you know, just to have a good solid basis to start from. So okay. wife, almost two kids. I'm going to say 1.9 kids Nine. at this point. Yeah, yeah right. 1.99. Yep. <laughs> there you go. 1.99. So <sighs> What I basically what I want to talk about because I'm I'm very curious specifically with you with this. So you're gonna have a newborn three days. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. You have a lot of emotions, I'm sure, with it. You know, good emotions, stressful emotions, all these things. When you had your your first child, do you see any differences between the first and the second going through this process of having a kid and being in fire, or is it pretty much the same? I know that's a weird kind of question to go off of, but interpret it as you will. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard because I can come home from a 48 and have run 25 calls. Like I said, we're a fairly busy department where I come from. And as soon as you walk through that door, you know, my wife could hand me the kid, like I've had a hellish night. You got to <laughs> take over and you've immediately got to switch gears to being a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, challenging it's going to be very hard to come back from you know going back on shift and running lots of calls and coming back to having a newborn again and not getting any sleep at home either yeah right the biggest thing that i've found in my marriage so far with is having an open line of communication with my wife when i come home like look i had a really tough set i need to like emotionally reset whether that's like going for a walk with you or taking a nap or like getting out on my motorcycle and just going for like a hour long ride. Right. Because mm-hmm. if I don't communicate that to my wife, it sets the whole day up and possibly the whole four day for, you know, negativity and I'm not the best dad I can be. So if I can communicate that, like, you know, we had a really rough call or, or, or talk through it, like 
she's my rock. So by, I don't want to say like dumping my day on her, but at least like being open with her and like, this is what I experienced the last 48 hours while you were gone or while I was gone, she has a little bit more, uh, she will, will work with me for being yeah. a parent. Right. And then she has the same thing with me too. Right. Like she'd come like, look, our kid was up all night. I have a migraine, blah, 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 blah. So if there's a give and take. Mm-hmm. And we've had a we've had a really positive relationship through our marriage so far, and as parents, um, just being open with one another and having a uh, just being totally honest. Like there's a, been a new, I don't want to say new, but there's been a much more pronounced um, emphasis on mental health in the fire service, which I love, and, which is awesome, <laughs> right? It's like it's okay to have a wide range of emotions. It's okay to feel down. It's okay to like have ups and downs in your career. Um, and I haven't totally utilized all the resources to my full advantage yet that we have, although my department has really a great network for us. I've just found that I have been fortunate enough to have a partner who's a great sounding board to just talk to, you know, mm-hmm. cause she like where I work, where I live in the state are two very different areas. I work in a very like impoverished, like high crime, just kind of like rough drugs, murder area. And I come home to the suburbs, right? And I tell her all these all these wild ass calls that run on. She's like, "Oh my god, like I can't even imagine." So, um, it's been nice to have her as somebody that, like who's not involved in the fire service mm-hmm. to to talk with things about um, and just work through tough things, tough calls like that. Hopefully, that answers your question in a roundabout way. It does. It does. So, so when you talk talking to your wife about these things and some things that you know the fire service, somebody who's not in it. Have you ever been worried? Because I know a lot of firefighters are, they they can get worried that their spouse won't be able to handle things. So they just don't say anything. Have you ever been in that spot or how do you, how do you handle that? If you do start feeling that. Like that she wouldn't be able to understand where I'm coming from. Um, not, well, that could be one way of taking it. So there's that, or just wouldn't be able to emotionally handle it either really the best thing you can have in a partner is just somebody who's just going to be there and listen for mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. And oh yeah. Just vent and un- unload. Um, she doesn't need to understand like all the scene dynamics of calls that I'm on, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm, and there's some things you just, you're not going to share with, with your family because they're either too graphic or like, they're just not going to understand like the emotion that you're feeling at the time. Yeah. So um, I try to, with respect, like the patients and their family and stuff, I try to give her kind of like a oversimplified version of calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you just, there's just some things you can't broach with people with, with your spouse. Cause she's not going to understand it. So that's why like crew barbecues or going out and like, you know, doing some sort of crew thing is, is such a great way. Cause they were there with you and understand. It's all so that important to do that. Mm-hmm. And doing it off of shift too, or like if you're in the volunteer setting, doing it outside of the station. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's kind of a cultural thing at my department, um, choir practice. And it's like this, so like you tell your wife or your husband, like I'm going to choir practice after we get off shift, (laughs) which basically means you're going to go, there's a little firefighter owned bar that's open like seven in the morning and you'll go and get like a breakfast burrito and like a beer first thing anymore with your crew and like just work through like a tough call or mm. just like you know shoot the shit or whatever so um those are kind of few and far between for me um 
because like I said, I have you know duties at home to be home and be a dad and whatnot. But having those moments as a crew are just so imperative mm-hmm. to kind of uh, mentally like de-escalate, you know, come come down from going a mile a minute down to like a half mile a minute down to like, <laughs> you know, no- normal life speed. Yeah, it you're is very different. Because when you're on shift, especially especially where you do work a full shift, you are on that heightened emotion, that heightened sense of urgency for that entire time you're there. Even if you think you're calm. I mean, my husband's been doing this. He's been wearing a Fitbit at night when he's at the station versus when he's at home just to see how he's been sleeping. And when he's at the station, even if he sleeps for five hours straight, which doesn't usually happen, but if he does, it never registers him as having sleep cycles. It just says he's asleep when he's home and he gets only a three hour nap. He gets those sleep cycles because he's actually asleep here. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Sleep is super important. So (laughs) I'm, I've been, uh, I've been educated by my wife on the importance of naps ever since since we met. So I've been trying to take advantage of that where applicable. Wait, can you give me some of that knowledge on naps? (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, they're well worth it. Let me just tell you that. Okay. Uh, So um, I want to tap into a little bit because this is a new realm that I haven't talked to with anybody yet for sure. Um, because no one else has really gone through it here recently. So if you're okay to talk with it, I want to talk a little bit about paternity leave and what that looks like. Cause I, kn- I know every department's different, mm-hmm. but what's it look like for you in your department? So, um, we don't have actual paternity leave. If you okay. Will. So I I'm using that term with you loosely. Okay, um, got it. Basically, I'm on FMLA leave, mm, mm-hmm. which is where I have to like go and get a doctor's note and say like I'm a you know a spouse of whatever, and uh, I'm just using banked sick hours. Okay. There are there is the, a department Boulder, Colorado, to my knowledge, actually the city because they're city employees, all firefighters as city employees, whether you're a man or a woman, get a 12 hour paid leave. Okay. Turning and returning. So we're starting to see the needle move there. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to my current department, we don't have an actual policy other than maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, what what that is basically is I basically just told my battalion chief, my crew, like, hey, I'm going to be taking these days off. You know, um, I'm super involved with the department, so I'm still like answering emails and whatnot. But um, I'm just taking some um, paid sick leave, essentially. It's, it's not an ag- actual thing. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's a bad way to use your sick leave either, honestly, you know, like, and, and I can't, I don't know if I know a firefighter that I would be, want to be friends with that would say that's a bad way to use your sick leave. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's your time yeah. you got to use it, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, or I know our union is fighting to have, um, the ability to call like a mental health day mm-hmm. and use your sick leave for that. Like if you're just not, you know, mentally available. And that's so powerful because Mm -hmm. imagine, yeah, if something happens, like if you're in that funk, it is sick and just in a different way than what we're used to. Well, and it affects your care as a, uh, whether you're a paramedic or an EMT or whatever, Mm -hmm. it affects your empathy on scene. It affects your compassion for your patients. You know, it affects how you, um, you know, uh, your crew dynamics, how you approach calls. So, you know, I would want everybody in my crew coming in refreshed and well-rested as best as possible. That's not always the case and not always possible, but mm-hmm. um, it is really cool to see that, uh, like I said, that kind of more open acceptance of mental health becoming um, 
a very real thing that we need to address and seeing departments starting to uh, identify like, look, sometimes guys get burnt out yeah. you know, and you, you may need a day off. So use your six. It's a, it's a right as a worker. Mm-hmm. My understanding, I'm not super involved in all the labor stuff, but it's, you earn the sick time and you can use it. So I would rather have a firefighter who misses a day to get themselves in the right headspace than have somebody quit because they can't handle it or heaven forbid something worse. Right. Right. Yeah. So to answer your question about paternity leave, it's not uh, a set thing where I'm at. It's just a mm-hmm. bunch of, it's just a bunch of sick time that I've banked that I'm now using. <laughs> and I don't have to earn all back again. Uh, yeah, but it'll be so worth it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you only get this time with your family once yeah. right? with, with a newborn. So some guys take two, two sets off. Some like my first kid, I took two months off, you know, mm-hmm. um, totally up to you on how much you want to take and just soak it all in and then go back to work. Yeah. And then I, we were talking about, I don't know, was it, this might've been before we started recording. I can't actually remember. Um, but we were talking before about, you know, the nice thing about having this firefighting job is the fact that, especially like if your spouse has some sort of shift work or part-time or whatever it is as well, or stay at home or whatever it is, then you have these random days during the middle of the week or, you know, on your off days, you can actually do stuff together too. So it's not like you're going to have to be going in every single day for work after that. You're still going to be home a decent bit too. Right. So I think that's one of the reasons why my wife and I have enjoyed such, like such a healthy marriage is because like I said, she's a shift worker too mm-hmm. when she was working because she, she quit her job, um, you know, take care of the kids, but it, it would be a lot different. I'd probably be sitting in a different tune if my wife worked like a nine to five. Yeah. And I came home and we didn't have that time together. So it'd be so just, tough. It's just so important to carve out that time to spend as a family. Well, especially for those families that that's the way it has to be. That's the way it is. Cause there's a sure. ton of families that's like, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's going to be. You just really have to make sure that that time you're spending with your family is a hundred percent in you're a hundred percent with them and and whatever that looks like, maybe it is still hectic. Maybe you're still helping kids with homework and trying to fight sure. kids going to bed and whatnot, but it can still be quality time while you do it. Yeah. So important. <laughs> so important to have that time. So, Absolutely. so talking about some quality time here, actually. So what do you and your family, what do you guys do for quality time? What do, what do you like to do together? Doing together? Um, our big thing is we really like walking and that sounds mm-hmm. really simple, but like, it's um, so cool though. Like, I mean, it's just so nice to get outside, especially Colorado. Come on. That's like just, oh, gorgeous weather. It seems like all the time. Totally. I mean, we'll go for like a walk in the morning and my kid has a sort of like blue ATV battery powered quad. He'll, he'll lead the uh, parade and we'll walk <laughs> behind him. And like, we're talking about our day and we're talking about like, you know, what we want to do for vacations. And we're like, I mean, we're talking about, sometimes we're criticizing like the choice of like lamps people put on the front of their house or like the color they paint their house. Or, you do like, that too? Oh, totally. <laughs> Comments on the Halloween decorations or we're talking about, you know, whatever. And, we you always know, look at walk. like what house like we, we would want to buy or live in. We're also in like that process of some, some point soon we're going to buy a house. We're like, I want that one. Not that one. That one's gross. Change the color on that one. I'll take it. Put a porch on that one. That'll be good. Like. Totally. Just getting out and walking and talking is just so cathartic and mm-hmm. will always be a part of my life with her. And just spending time with our kid, 
you know, or playing in the backyard, like in the pool, a kiddie pool. I don't have a pool in my yard. <laughs> but um, we like to say every day is an adventure for our kids. So we always try to do something like whether we go to an indoor trampoline park or we go to the zoo or we go whatever. We try to do like one event a day, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a family. And it's, it's really paid dividends for just the overall health of our family and our relationship. Well, I like that because it's just, who was I, ta- I, geez, who was I having all these conversations with? I'm trying to remember. I don't know if it was with another guest or if it was with my husband. It was with somebody. And we were talking about um, just the fact of like, yeah, sitting on the couch and watching a movie is nice. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But I would much rather go do something fun, like go on a motorcycle ride to go see some landmark somewhere else and sure. experience it same yeah. amount of time but you're doing something that's much more memorable and that memory is going to stay in your brain and you're going to cherish that more than the three two or three hour movie you're going to watch yeah there's something to be said about being outside that just improves your start your day off on the right foot do you ever you know, get the point where like you're inside too much? Like I definitely do. If you're inside too much, you start getting really cranky and you just need to go outside for a little bit. That's that's what can be hard about Colorado sometimes, like in the dead of winter when it's just snow and it's just been on the ground for two weeks and it's all black from the exhaust and it's piled up in the parking lot. You're like, this sucks. Like <laughs> I want to go out and do stuff. Um yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is there is there anything else on Family Talk that you want to touch or anything? We've hit no, a lot. Just, we have. I'm I'm really excited. My kids getting to that point where like he's starting to understand what I do. Mm. So like we'll read a picture book and there'll be a fire engine. And he goes, Dad. And he points oh. to the engine. You know, it's just so cool. Like to have him, you know, kind of know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and uh, bringing him to the firehouse and letting him like sit in the rig and touch the tools and like see Dad and um. My dad wasn't a firefighter. I didn't grow up around him the first generation, but I'm hoping to keep that environment around my children to leave that door open for them. I don't mm-hmm. ever want to force my child into a career path. If he yeah. wants to be a firefighter, great. If not, if you want to be a banker or a you know professional dancer or whatever, an artist, I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna foster that. Mm-hmm. But I al- I also want to um, you know show him an appreciation for what I do. And like the manual side of like labor and like big machines with cool dials, like pumps and <laughs> you know, big ladder trucks and things like that too. So it's maybe, been a, it's been a really fun journey. I was going to say maybe independent fire training is going to continue like, you know, 40 years later and him or yeah. something. <laughs> I, well, and like I told my wife when we started, I'm like, you know, hopefully in a few years we're traveling around the country, not I'll teach a class and then we'll spend, you know, the other seven days on the road and go to places we'd never see normally. Right. Oh Yeah. Like, like Lake of the Ozarks, for example, I never would have thought to really go to that part of the country if it wasn't for RFT mm-hmm. and, you know, getting invited to go down there or like Florida for a conference or New Jersey or, or wherever. So I'm hoping as my children grow and as this IFT grows and I grow in my career, I can incorporate my family in all those adventures with me. Oh, that's fantastic. You, you're only teaching for like two hours at a conference. Oh, yeah. Or eight hours, you know, one day tied up. The rest mm-hmm. of the day can be travel and just seeing the country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or really. sitting by the pool, relaxing, reading a book like you were last time. That's also <laughs> good, too. That was really nice. Although it was weird being on vacation. Vacation, I say that in quotes. Yeah. By myself, right? Like, I, I wish my family could have been there, but 
mm-hmm. nine, nine months pregnant in July in the Ozarks was not on too high mm-hmm. on my wife's list. Yeah. So well, and honestly, I don't blame her either with the, with this, it was a gorgeous resort, but with as hilly as it was. <laughs> oh, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> I oh, didn't that, expect it. That was like a freaking uh, workout to go from it one was. end to the other. <laughs> Traveling from the bar at the end of the night, going all the way back up to the room. Oh, that was a long, long walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, like I said, it was gorgeous. It was a great place. It was a great location for it, but it, be prepared for the hills. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think they'll have it there again next year. That'd be awesome. I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. So Adam, if people want to find you, where can they do that at? So our biggest presence is on Instagram and Facebook at independent fire training. Um, we are now venturing out into TikTok to Ooh. try to capture some more of the younger audience. I'm not nearly as well versed in that platform yet or Mm -hmm. have had the success with that but um, pretty much any social media platform you'll find us uh you can you know find me personally on on facebook or instagram too at adam haywood um i work like i said in denver metro area so if anybody's listening and is testing or wants to know more about departments in the area um I, i like to think i have pretty extensive knowledge of the happenings in the you know colorado firefighting realm so by all means, reach out to me. If you have if questions not, about, yeah. I was going to say, if not, I bet you know someone who does. So That's true. <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm pretty well connected. And if you have questions about saws or blades or, you know, how to force a doorknob or deadbolt, anything like that, reach out. Water cans. Water you know, we cans. We didn't talk about water cans. Dang it. Um, yeah. <laughs> that just means I have to have you back on again so we can just do a whole episode on water cans. Y- yeah. Is there uh, enough I, there I to talk about for a full episode of water cans? You know, there's a whole class out there called Can Confidence uh, through the Vent Enter Search Guys, huh. uh, all about water cans. Okay. So, uh, that's like, a, it's not, by no means am I an expert in the water can. Those guys <laughs> have me absolutely aced, but um, there's a whole, that's a whole nother niche of the fire service. You don't think about it. You see, no, the, no, don't you get exposed to extinguishers for like one hour of the academy. Yeah. It's like not you know? even one day, one hour hour oh right. hey you pull the pin you do this okay got uh, it <laughs> but they're the first line defense for a lot of people right what about a medic unit showing up we just it was a different shift but we just had a fire two weeks ago at adams county where the medic was first on scene hit it with a water can you know knocked it down while the, they were advancing the attack line so score absolutely an, absolutely an option right yeah i mean water, if you can take care of it with that little of a thing like why not put it down as much as you can well, and water and air are free. So yeah. You might as well use the water can while you have it. Right. Mm-hmm. So just going to take time to fill up and not that much time. So <laughs> that's right. That's a whole other thing in teaching people how to fill up the water can appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot of people know like to weigh the water can or well, like a fish scale. So I in order, like, don't know if I knew that. So let me, let me give you a little pro tip before we, before we sign off here. Like, yeah know what your water can weighs empty right okay ours is like 8.3 pounds or 8.5 pounds with like the can and the harness and everything so mm-hmm. if you know what that weighs empty and you know what two and a half pounds or two and a half gallons of water weighs which i think on top of my head's like 24 so I'd, I'd, I'd have to get my calculator out 8.333 times two and a half right okay once you fill up your water can i mean you're supposed to fill up to the bottom of the fill cone if you weigh it 
or like on a truck check, you can weigh it and see if there's the right amount of water is in there Dude. without having to open it up. Yeah. Dude, that is a game changer. Right? Okay. So think about this, right? Like you're on your truck check and you pull the can out. Most people just look at the gauge like, oh, it's in the oh, green. Yeah. Oh, that's but what you, I do. Yeah, honestly, you should, honestly. You should feel it, like feel the water can and make sure that it wasn't under or overfilled, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have a little fish scale at my firehouse 13 where I work. We'll pick up the water can and weigh it. And like, oh, okay, this water can, we label it on the side. This water can is supposed to weigh 28.7 pounds or whatever. If it weighs that, I can know with confidence that that can was filled appropriately with two and a half gallons of water. Hmm. I like so, that. I like that little, a lot. Little, little pro tips, man. Man. Yeah. Something so easy and something that like, you know, you want to make sure you have it right. Cause when you want to use it, you want to make sure it's good to use. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That's one thing I love. Like when I have a probie and they're like, you know, you're going through the probie book and like, okay, you're on, you're assigned this firehouse 13 or whatever. And this engine has 750 gallons of water. Like, are you sure about that? Aren't there another two and a half gallons of water on the rig? Doesn't this have 752 and a half gallons of water for firefighting capability? That is awesome. That's, that's such a great one like to just stick in the probie, you know, and catch them and make sure they know like that's a firefighting tool. That's yeah. water available. Oh so, man, that is so yeah. that is so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh geez. Okay. Yeah. We we might have to get more into water cans next time. Though. Okay. All right. It's not the most exciting subject. It just goes that one step of like beyond. Like yeah. The, that's to me, that's the difference between like somebody who, who's just working there for a paycheck and a professional, right? Mm-hmm. Who like knows, knows all their tools inside now. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Mm-hmm. This has been so much fun talking with you, Adam. Thank you for having me, Taylor. <laughs> of course. Appreciate this. Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll sign off here. So for everyone listening, uh, as always, I don't quite know what I'm talking about next week, but it's going to be a fun one. So have a good night, day, whatever time you're listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.